Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm really excited about what the future brings. Uh, my teammates uh, make this place uh, amazing. You know, it's we, we have guys uh, come in and out each year, but the culture never changes, and, and the guys are uh, a big reason why we have something special here. Listen, I, I could look you, I, I, I could look him, I could look anyone in the eye, hopefully face-to-face at some point soon, and tell you, we love Carson Wentz, and we've shown it with our actions. We showed it when we traded everything to go and get him. We showed it when we went and paid him on that contract. And it's not like we're trying to get out of that contract. Like, we're committed to that. Obviously, that's that's frustrating uh, as a competitor. And um, just the, the personality that I have, you know, I want to be the guy out there. But, um, you know, it is what it is. When you have players like that, they're like fingers on your hands. Uh, you know, you can't even imagine that they're not part of you, that they're not here. And uh, you know, that's, that's how we feel about Carson. Well, what a difference less than two years makes for the Philadelphia Eagles and Carson Wentz. We knew it was coming. Now that it's happened, it really is jarring when you consider how quickly a team and a franchise quarterback can fall out of love with each other. It's a Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live here on Peacock, Series XM 211. Sky Sports NFL, 7 o'clock primetime, UK and Ireland, NBCSN re-air and podcast, wherever, whenever, however you get your podcast. Miles Simmons, back for another day. This has been a big week for you. Two days on PFTPM, two days on PFT Live. You have not yet asked for a trade, Carson Wentz style, so that's good news. They won't be playing back any of this within the next two years as we get along so well, and then it's over just like that. First reaction, Miles, when when you heard that it was done for Carson Wentz finally in Philadelphia? Well, uh, my first reaction probably was, I guess, now we know what coming days means, right? I mean, we heard it, I think it was Super Bowl Sunday that he was supposed to be traded in the coming days, so I guess coming days can be anywhere from one to ten days, uh, if you really want to trade. And hearing that sound from Howie Roseman is just striking, man. He sticks fingers on your hand. Well, I guess you just cut a couple of them off, right? Or something. And I don't know which finger it is, but maybe Carson once wanted to give a particular finger to the Eagles at some point in this whole saga. Last night, we played that sound on PFTPM, and I made a JPP joke on the way in simply because Leonard Fournette did it after the Buccaneers parade. So once that bridge is crossed, it's fair game with the Eagles or JPP this morning jokes because they are. They cut the finger off their hand, and they move on to Jalen Hurts plus whoever. We're going to break that trade down from both perspective, Eagles and Colts and other relevant developments as it relates to that trade or not trade to the Chicago Bears. But let's start with the Philadelphia Eagles. They get a third-round pick in 2021 plus a second-round pick in 2022 that can upgrade to a first-rounder if Carson Wentz takes 75% of the snaps or 70% plus they make the playoffs. That creates a strange incentive to bench him near the end of a season that may be lost for the Indianapolis Colts. But look, that's an issue for farther down the road. For now, the Eagles get something 
for a contract they wanted to dump. That's good news for the Eagles. This had the feel of a Brock Osweiler trade. This had the feel of a Jared Goff, let's work him into the Matthew Stafford trade so no one notices that we're actually giving something up to get this contract off our books. When you consider that the Eagles were stuck with a horrible contract, Miles, the fact that they got anything is a miracle, even though they fell short of that first-round pick in 2021 that they were hoping to get, they may end up with one come 2022. Yeah, they, they were never going to get that Matthew Stafford package that was reported that they wanted. I mean, because in part, like you just said, Jared Goff had to be a part of that deal and they had, and the Rams had to give a first round pick just to get rid of Jared Goff. So it's not like really they were trading for Matthew Stafford for all of that. And I think sometimes people forget that, but because of that, and you look at what Carson Wentz did last year, I think the fact that they got even a three and a two for him is kind of incredible because look, he was not a good quarterback. And so from that perspective, when you get something for somebody who was so bad, and then you also get to unload that contract, I think that makes it an automatic win for the Eagles. And the Eagles were fortunate that there was a team out there where the planets lined up. There's a Colts team that desperately needed a quarterback, given the retirement of Phillip Rivers, and this this merry-go-round they've been on since Andrew Luck abruptly retired in August of 2019. And Frank Reich is there as the head coach. And Frank Reich has the relationship with Carson Wentz. And the Eagles spin on the 2020 regression of Carson Wentz that it's no different than Ben Roethlisberger in 2006. It's no different than Peyton Manning in 2001. Both of those guys rebounded from it. That spin has a chance of working on Frank Reich because he's got the relationship. He knows Carson Wentz. And he can believe, yeah, this was just a blip on the radar screen. And we're actually lucky to be getting him at a spot where we can do it for a three and a two that may become a one. If he had played in 2020 like he had in 2019, there's no way we get this deal. And that's, you know, the point I made yesterday. If you tell a Colts fan last year at this time, you're going to get Phillip Rivers for one year at $25 million, and then you're going to have Carson Wentz at $25.4 million, they'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. They'd say, why can't we just get Carson Wentz right now? So uh, the, 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 the fact that they found a suitor who was the only suitor that ever made sense. But the fact that they found one and they were able to just be patient, wait until they had what was the best offer. There was a report from Wednesday from Zach Kiefer of the athletic that the Colts weren't budging. Once the Eagles realized that the Colts were at their bottom line, that the Colts were not going to throw another draft pick or upgrade the three this year to a two or whatever it was, they weren't going to make an improvement to their offer. May as well just do it be done with it, have this coming days end before we get to March 17. Because I was at the point where I thought, well, there's nothing more to do. Let's just wait until we get to the point where the new league year is beginning and do the deal then. So that kind of surprised me because it felt like both sides were going to stay locked in until they moved toward their bottom line. The Colts, I think, convinced the Eagles, we ain't moving. And so the Eagles decided we just need to be done with this. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the discipline of Chris Ballard. He just seems to be that kind of guy where he has a plan and he's going to stick to it. And in some of these GMs across the league, they sometimes give off the impression that they have a plan. And But, you know, really behind the scenes, they're thinking, all right, well, we can tell them this, but then at the end of the day, yeah, we can go up or we can go down or we can do whatever to make this really work. I think that because of Chris Ballard's reputation as somebody who's like, look, I'm a straight shooter, man. This is the only thing we're going to do. And we know from the years past, they're not just going to give up draft picks willy-nilly. It's just not the way they operate there in Indianapolis. And so because of that, I think the Eagles just finally figured out, look, we really don't have many other options here, and I don't think we're going to get a better offer. And, you know, maybe you want to do right by Carson Wentz. Maybe you don't. I don't necessarily know what they're thinking in terms of that. But this is really the only good situation, I think, that Carson Wentz could be placed in where he may actually be able to thrive in this particular offense with this particular coach, Mike. So I think that from that perspective, yeah, it, this was kind of the only way that this could turn out. I think that the notion of doing right by Carson Wentz was superseded by the notion of doing what's right for the Eagles. And the Eagles realized the best interests of the organization 
were served by finding a way to get a disgruntled quarterback off of the roster. He didn't want to be there. It was clear he didn't want to be there. Even after they fired Doug Peterson, there was the reporting from ESPN that the relationship between Wentz and Peterson had become fractured. Fine, Peterson's gone. Oh, wait, that's not good enough. We still need to trade Carson Wentz. Because I really do believe the Eagles were hoping to find a way to work this out and to go forward with Wentz and hurts and make a decision at some point between now and week one who the better option would be Wentz I don't think wanted that Wentz wants to play Wentz believes he's earned it Wentz believes he's entitled to it and if we go back to the draft from last April when they took Jalen Hurts with a second round pick that according to Jay Glazer of Fox he reported that in one of the various Sundays of the 2020 season that caused Wentz to lose confidence. That caused Wentz to slip into a funk from which he never recovered. And what a contrast between what the Eagles did with Hurts, what the Packers did with Aaron Rodgers in drafting Jordan Love. It worked on Aaron Rodgers. He skyrocketed. And Carson Wentz, by all appearances, went the other way. One of the reasons that Carson Wentz struggled, he had an offensive line that had 14 different combinations due to injury. He's going to Indianapolis where the offensive line is much better. So this could work out extremely well for Carson Wentz personally, but it had been an ugly year. And it just shows you how quickly in today's NFL, what we thought was a long-term relationship can fall apart. And we never would have guessed this, that Doug Peterson would be out and that Carson Wentz would be gone a year ago. Unfathomable that something like this would happen. But when something like this does happen, Miles, what it does, and, and this may be a bad thing, it encourages me to always be looking for the possibility that something else like this can happen somewhere else. And it's the kind of thing when you start spitballing on potential calamities for franchise quarterbacks and teams, the fan bases start yelling and screaming and shouting. All I have to point to is, look at what happened with Carson Wentz. You can't roll anything out in this crazy business. Well, it's it's the same sort of thing you could talk about, I think, with the Rams and with Jared Goff, right? Although this this makes you sound like a very dark human being, Mike. But at the same time, I think that when you see these things you don't go know on me across very well. the league, well, I guess I don't. I just started working here, you know. So it's, but when you see these things go on across the league, right? I, I think what you have to think about is there are consequences of playing poorly that can come within, you know, a season of something else where you just thought, man, they are on the long-term track. And I think when you look at what happened with 2016, where both teams trade up, you get one and two with the Rams and Eagles and Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. I don't think even a year ago, maybe even six months ago, we would have been thinking, oh my gosh, these guys are both going to be shipped out of the teams that have drafted them because of their poor performances in 2020. It, it's just the weird nature of this business. And especially when you're talking about the quarterback position, things can really change in a hurry, Mike. And I, I just, I think you're right to say, oh, look, the next calamity can be just around the corner. And I, I am fascinated by the two back-to-back drafts, 2015, 2016. Jameis Winston, the first pick by the Buccaneers, Marcus Mariota, the second overall pick by the Titans. They worked for the team's, for five years each, full contract with the option year. And then we're gone. That was it. Their teams held firm and didn't give them a second contract. 2016, Rams trade up, Eagles trade up. After three seasons, both Jared Goff and Carson Wentz get long-term contracts. And by the time they had finished their fifth seasons, both teams were ready to move on. Cautionary tale for other teams that have a first-round quarterback that they can keep for up to five years. That option year is a powerful tool to allow you to wait and see, are you sure you'll want to do this? Because maybe you will decide after that fifth year, it's time to move on. And you don't want to be caught in a contract that causes you to not get what you could or to, to give up more than you'd like to get that contract off your books. And it makes me wonder when they do their planning sessions with the teams and they get together and they talk about contract structures and philosophies, that there is reason 
to be patient. There is reason to wait. Cleveland Browns, I'm talking to you with Baker Mayfield. Don't rush in to a contract with Baker Mayfield after only three seasons. J- uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, wh- they- they- they've made it clear they want to do it. And maybe they think they can do a very team-friendly deal because Lamar Jackson doesn't have an agent and and you can get him to see it your way and you can maybe get him to do a deal that, that you can't say no to. You never know what's going to happen over the course of the next two years. Even Josh Allen and the Bills, although we're sold right now, we were sold on Carson Wentz after three years. It just it shows you how quickly things can change and that once you commit that money, And once you put yourself in that cap predicament where the dollars are there and you've got to pay them, and and even if you do trade the guy and save the money, you're taking a major cap hit. These are all things that need to be considered when deciding to sign a quarterback to a second contract. And, And I think when teams trade up, they're more likely to do it, Miles. I think that's what makes them inclined to let the whole world know we got it right. We rolled the dice, we moved up, and this contract tells the world we were right. Yeah, you know, it's not like you trade up in order to get that guy and then you want to let him go five years later. But I think what you're saying about these guys in this 2018 draft class is particularly interesting because this is going to come up now over the next, I don't know, maybe few weeks to the next coming months because these guys are now eligible for these contract extensions. So I think you're right. This is kind of a cautionary tale maybe for both the the Browns, the Ravens, uh, the Bills. I mean, the Jets have Sam Darnold, and he was also a part of that draft class, but who knows what's going to happen there. I think you're right. The fifth-year option is a powerful tool. And really the only thing that these teams are maybe going to lose if they don't sign these guys right now is that you're going to lose a little bit of financial flexibility perhaps in the later years because the only thing that these quarterback uh, contracts do is go up. That's just the way the market works. So even when Jared Goff signed his extension uh, you know, a year ago and I got Rams fans in my tweets saying, oh, what do you think of this? It's like, well, if you want to keep this guy, then this is the going rate for quarterbacks. This is just what the market rate is. So if you're the Bills, if you're the Browns, if you're the Ravens, you got to know that the only thing these contract quarterbacks or quarterback contracts, excuse me, are going to do is continue to go up. But if you're winning, who cares? You have your quarterback, you have your guy. And to me, that's the most important thing, Mike. And I am fully aware of the fact that in the past I've said when you draft a quarterback, the moment you know he is your guy, you get him signed. The cautionary tale on the other side is the Cowboys constantly delaying and waiting and not signing Dak Prescott, and it gets more and more and more expensive all the time because he, since he wasn't a first-round pick, four-year rookie contract, franchise tag, and now they're staring at second tag at $37.68 million because they went exclusive tag last year, which was 31 4 If they'd have gone non-exclusive tag and risked the possibility of someone signing him to an offer sheet and they would have gotten two first-round picks, they didn't want to do that. They went with the highest possible tag. You add 20% onto that this year, and if you don't work out a long-term deal with him, you add 44% onto it next year. They have gotten themselves into a mess because they didn't rush in at the right moment and get the deal done. But the flip side of that coin is, if you do, you better be damn sure. Just make sure you are damn sure before you do it. The problem is, the Eagles, I suspect, were. The Rams, I don't think, were. I think the Rams did it because they felt like they had to do it, because people like me were saying, you shouldn't do it. People like me were saying he missed a throw in Super Bowl 53 that would have potentially won the game. Is he really a championship quarterback? Is he really the guy that you want for the next 15 years? And I, I almost feel like they got pushed into it by all the talk. And it wasn't just me. It was others saying, don't do it, don't do it. I think the attitude at some level was, we'll show you. We're going to do it. We know what's right for this team. And then two years later, what's right for the team is to is to do the Brock Osweiler hot potato and get him out of town. It just... It, it just shows you how the NFL has become such a year-to-year proposition. Every team is different. Every year is different. The circumstances every year are different. And what the team did in the most recent season carries so much more weight than anything that the team or the player 
had ever done before. That's the reality that a lot of these teams now find themselves in. Well, I think it's also progress versus regress, right? And in, if you look at both Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, progress was not being made. You know, Carson Wentz's best year and what people keep turning back to, I think, is 2017. Now, he did have some good moments last year, you know, and then he led that team to the playoffs before he was knocked out in the first half whoa, of that game against whoa, Seattle. Whoa, 2019, Miles, 2019, he was all they had. 2019, they were 5-7, and seven, and it was Carson Wentz and a bunch of guys of whom I had to – of whom I well, – let me try that again. A bunch of guys I had to Google to find out who the hell they were. So – that, that's what it became near the end of the season. He really was solid in 2019 and 2018 until he had the back injury. Look look at that. In 27 and 7 in 2019, 21 touchdown passes and 7 picks in 2018. Of course, he was phenomenal in 2017. So the body of work was there. That's what makes last year so damn confusing. And that's why the Eagles thought it was a fluke. They thought it was an aberration. And, and they may find out the hard way that they were right. Because let me tell you this, if Carson Wentz goes to Indy and he goes back to that 33-7 split and he's an MVP candidate, you think the Eagles fans who would have been pissed off, sorry, London, if they had kept Carson Wentz, you think they're going to be forgiving? You think they're going to forget? You think they're going to say to the Eagles, it's okay that you traded him. We didn't know he was going to be good again. We, we still liked him. We'd have given him another chance. Baloney. So that's the worst possible outcome. You know, the good news is the Eagles will get the pick upgraded to a first rounder for 2022. The bad news is they're never going to hear the end of it if Carson Wentz becomes next year who he was every year before 2020. Yeah, but I just feel like when you saw what he was doing this year, man, like I, and I know that the Eagles skill position players, eh, or, eh, even this year, right? But and the offensive line had to go through so many different combinations. But at the same time, when you're taking 50 sacks and you're getting sacked four times a game and Deshaun Watson is, you know, has 49 sacks and he's getting 16 games and he's only getting sacked three times a game, some of that's on the QB. And I think when you're not getting rid of the ball and the timing and rhythm of the play and you're not seeing things properly – it's hard to then say, all right, everything is going to go back to the way it was the year before. Is it just a confidence thing? I don't know. I mean, is it because now Frank Reich and everybody in uh, Indianapolis wants him that he's all of a sudden magically going to get his confidence back? I don't, I don't know how much I believe in that. I really don't. I mean, I don't think that Carson Wentz is a lost cause by any means, but I think to say that he's going to get back to an MVP level just because he gets a change of scenery and just because he goes to a Colts team that has a much better offensive line. And granted, they still got to figure out their left tackle situation. Sounds retired. So that's another thing that I think they're really going to have to figure out and say, all right, this is actually going to be the best plan for Carson Wentz. I think he's in a much better situation, but I, I count me as one of the skeptics that he's going to get back to an MVP level. Look at the difference in pass block efficiency via pro football focus for the Colts and the Eagles last year. But you're right, they have to replace Anthony Costanzo. There's been some talk about possibly moving Quentin Nelson out to tackle. We had a post uh, with Joe Thomas remarks about how difficult that will be for Nelson. And also, it creates a hole in the middle of the line if you do that. Who do you replace Nelson with if you slide him out to tackle? So uh, I, I hear what you're saying. And, and trust me, something went wrong last year. And I'd like to think that Frank Reich was able to get on the phone with Doug Peterson, get on the phone with whoever he needed to get on the phone with. He's got Press Taylor working for him now in Indianapolis. You got a way to get to the bottom and make your judgment. And maybe it's impossible to diagnose with certainty, but why did Carson Wentz go sideways last year? And, and at some point, the Eagles may have authorized a conversation between Wentz and Reich directly. Yes, it would be tampering for Reich to call up Wentz and say, let's talk about what happened last year. If the Eagles say it's okay, it's not. And and if the Colts say, hey, look, we'll, we'll do this dance with you, but one of the things we got to figure out is whether or not you're right when you say it was an aberration. So let us get on the phone with Carson Wentz and try to get to the bottom of this. So the fact that the Colts did it tells me that the Colts – did their homework. They did their due diligence, and they have come to the, the conclusion 
imperfect as it may be, time will tell. Performance will show whether or not they're right. But the fact that they did the deal when there were other deals that could have been done, when there were other paths they could have taken at the quarterback position, it tells me that they came to the conclusion that they're confident. They're more confident than they're not confident that this is going to work out. And the fact that they only gave up the three and a two was just a reflection of the fact that the Eagles didn't have leverage. It's not a reflection of the fact that they have doubts. Well, we're only going to give you a three and a two. No, they're taking on this massive contract. Well, not relative to Patrick Mahomes, but they are going to pay out $40 million over two years, guaranteed, fully guaranteed. So if he stinks this year, they're still stuck next year. They could cut him, and, and they'd get some credit for the $15 million in guaranteed money for next year if he signs somewhere else. But they've made the assessment. And they dug in on the compensation to the Eagles because the Eagles didn't have anyone else at the table. Look, the, the, the Colts were lucky that 2020 happened the way it did for Wentz. And the Eagles were lucky that the Colts were where they are right now. If Andrew Luck doesn't retire and he's still with Indy, I don't think the Eagles had anywhere that they could have sent Carson Wentz. And they may have had to do the Brock Osweiler trade where they either give him away or they throw a draft pick onto the pile to get someone to take on that contract. That, that's how bad it was for the Eagles. But for the Colts, it's just, you know, there's a chance that this was just a perfect storm of good circumstances for them. If it works, if it works. But again, my point, I think they've done enough homework to convince themselves they could be wrong, but they've convinced themselves that it's going to work. Yeah, and I, I don't blame them for doing that, and I don't blame them for thinking that it could work. I think what Frank Reich did last year with Philip Rivers is a good example of what can happen when it's right, especially when Frank Reich knows the player already, and he because he had Philip Rivers uh, there in San Diego with the Chargers. And so, if you have that relationship that's previously established, we have seen already what Frank Reich can do with a quarterback. And so, if that's what they're thinking they can do with Carson Wentz more power to him because look, Philip Rivers did not have a good year in 2019 with the chargers. And I was covering the Raiders at the time. So I saw him twice that year and it just looked terrible when he was trying to throw the football. I remember that Thursday night game that they played in Oakland. It was just, it looked so ugly when he was just trying to throw the ball. I thought he would flame out and really have a bad year with Indianapolis. And then he didn't. So, you know, who knows? I could be wrong again on Carson Wentz and how this could work out. I think that Carson Wentz has a good chance of being a viable starting quarterback. And I think that because of all the talent that they've got in Indianapolis and the coaching that they have there, he can definitely be a viable starter. But does that mean I think he's going to get to an elite level where that he's going to be able to push the Colts past these teams in the AFC that ostensibly are better than the Colts right now? I'm talking about the Browns, the Ravens, the Titans in their own division, right? The Chiefs, of course, the Bills at the top there. I don't know if Carson Wentz can do that for Indianapolis. I was with you on Rivers, too. He had those seven interceptions in back-to-back primetime games. And when the Colts gave him $25 million, the same amount the Saints gave Drew Brees, the same amount the Buccaneers gave Tom Brady, I thought that, that Phillip Rivers was in, I should be wearing a ski mask when I sign this contract territory. I couldn't believe they did it, but they got to the playoffs with him, and they gave the Bills everything they could handle. So maybe, maybe they know how to draw the best out of someone who is embattled to say the least. So where do you think let's say let's say Carson Wentz on a pass fail scale passes. Let's say he's good enough. What does that mean for the Colts as it relates to potential success in 2021? Well, if he passes, I think it just means that he's either playing 70% of the snaps and they go to the playoffs or he plays 75% of the snaps because that would mean that the a draft pick becomes a, 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 the one as opposed to the two. So that to me is the pass fail scale, I guess. And so if he fails, that means that, that that second round pick stays a second round pick. And I, I don't know. I think that the Colts can probably be a seven win team to as much as a 12 win team, depending on where Carson Wentz is. And that just is the fluctuation of how bad he was you know, last year in 2020 to how good I think he can be, which is probably like the 2019 level. I just, like I said, I don't see him getting back to that MVP level. If he's at an MVP level, then the Colts, I think, are automatically in that upper echelon of the AFC teams with the Bills and with the Chiefs. 
I just don't know that he's going to be able to get there. But like I said, if he passes, that means that he's playing a bunch of snaps and he starts the whole season. And that, that, that second round pick becomes a first round pick. Miles, I can't tell you how refreshing it is to have someone who uses the term upper echelon correctly on the first try. I have been working for the past few years with someone who insisted that it was upper echelons. He'll be back on Monday, and I'm talking about Chris Sims. People have been wondering, where's Chris? Where's Chris? I'm getting emails. Where's Chris? Where's Chris? He'll be back. Calm down. He'll be back on Monday. He's never here on Friday anyway, so this is the perfect day for me and Miles to break all this down. Never works on Friday, except during Super Bowl week when he does. I think. I think what... He believes is if he works the Friday of Super Bowl week, then he gets to take the full week off the week after we break down the Super Bowl. But either way, he'll be back on Monday. Uh, And he'll probably say upper echelons at some point on Monday. As to the Eagles, I I said yesterday, and we've said this before, they view backup quarterback as a top 15 position on the roster. So it's not going to be Jalen Hurts and Nate Sudfeld. It's not going to be Jalen Hurts and just some guy who's there in the event that Jalen Hurts gets injured. It's going to be Jalen Hurts and someone else who is capable of starting. And the report came out yesterday. They want competition for Hurts because people say, well, you just traded the competition. No, they want different competition. They want competition that actually embraces competition. Carson Wentz didn't want to compete for the job. He thought that the job should be given to him. That's fine. That's his prerogative. That's his priority. Whatever. Now, Miles, I look at the Eagles and, and I wonder, do they use the sixth overall pick? on a quarterback and have a second-year guy and a first-year guy? Or do you try to find a veteran to come in to help develop Jalen Hurts and also to be that that complement to younger guy, older guy? You know, Nick Foles, he could come back for a third stint with the team. I don't suspect he'll be back with the Bears. But uh, which, which way do you think they will go or should go? Younger guy than Hurts or somebody who's been around the block a few times? I would go younger guy, and I think, and I say it because I think you want the person with the higher ceiling. If you bring in somebody like a Nick Foles, like a Ryan Fitzpatrick comes to mind just because of what he was able to do with Tua and the relationship that they seem to have established, I think it, it sets your ceiling a lot lower than it probably should be and what you would want it to be um, at the quarterback position. But if you bring in a guy who's a rookie, you think that maybe that guy can eventually turn into an elite-level quarterback. And that's what I think you want. You don't want somebody who's just going to be middling, somebody who can maybe get you to the Super Bowl if you have a really, really, really good defense. I think you want the guy who's going to be the guy. And I don't know that Jalen Hurts can be that guy. I don't know that he's not that guy either. But I think because you just don't necessarily know what Nick Sirianni is going to be as a head coach, how he's going to be able to develop quarterbacks. But at the same time, you, you brought him in there for a reason. You've got the number six overall pick. You want to never have a pick that high again with that particular head coach. Might as well roll the dice, see what you can get at quarterback, and see if that guy can turn into an elite level player. Because if you don't have an elite quarterback, it's very, very difficult to win a championship. The one mystery in all of this that we may never get a full and straight answer to is why did the Eagles use a second-round pick last year on Jalen Hurts? Is it as simple as we need two quarterbacks? We've learned from experience that with Carson, you have to have somebody else available because he 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 inevitably gets injured. 2017, got injured against the Rams in December. Then 2018, the back problem. 2019, everything's going well. We get into the playoffs. Now, I don't know that you can blame Carson Wentz for getting a concussion when he had an illegal hit from Jadavian Clowney of the Seahawks when they were playing the wild card game. But I, I just, I, I, I'd love to know because it could be that either they, they told Carson Wentz they were going to do it and he didn't like it and they did it anyway, or they just didn't properly communicate it to him But where did the relationship go sideways and what impact did this decision to take Jalen Hurts have on it? And why at the core, at the bottom line, why did they do it? Did they anticipate there was going to be a regression with Carson Wentz? Because if they did, they were right. Interesting note on this trade. The Colts reportedly inquired about Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback, they were told that Derek Carr is not available. There had been some speculation that maybe the Raiders would move on from him. I don't think the Raiders are going to let go of that bird in the hand, Miles, until they know that they got the two in the bush, that they've got somebody who's going to be clearly better than Carr. And even though they constantly are roaming for someone better, that's just John Gruden, 
right? We had the we had the meme earlier this week of Gruden and his current quarterback, and basically we changed it to at least I did any other quarterback. He's always looking the wandering eye for any other quarterback. He's not going to pull the trigger until he knows somebody is clearly better. And the fact that the Raiders wouldn't even engage the Colts in conversation, it tells me that John Gruden's looked around this year and he's decided. I can't get anyone better than Derek Carr for 2021. Well, unless it's Deshaun Watson. I mean, that's the only quarterback that I would say would really be a clear upgrade from Derek Carr if you're talking about that particular offense and that particular team. I I just, there's no reason to get rid of Derek Carr for picks. I mean, you're on, in theory at least, the cusp of being a true playoff contender. There's a lot of talent there, especially on the offensive side with the Raiders, but what you don't have is a defense. And so that's why you bring in Gus Bradley. That's why you keep Rob Marinelli and you get rid of Paul Gunther and you do all the things that they have done to try to get the most out of these picks that they've made in the last couple of years. But if you're talking about Derek Carr, there's no reason in the world to just get rid of Derek Carr for draft picks because that doesn't help you win. And even though, you know, Las Vegas, I think is going to support the Raiders no matter what, and they're going to get money because of all kinds of travel. And I mean, heck, I want to watch a game in Las Vegas in that stadium. That seems like a really cool thing to do. But so they're not going to be in trouble from that standpoint of like fan support or anything. But I still think when you're entering a new market, you want to win. And I don't think that unless you're getting somebody, like I said, Deshaun Watson, you're not giving up Derek Carr because that doesn't make you better. I can't tell you how much I am rooting for Deshaun Watson to the Raiders and Derek Carr to the Texans as part of the deal because of the misadventures of David Carr with the Houston Texans. It just would be perfect if Derek Carr ends up playing in Houston. And I I don't know that he would even want to, given the current state of the franchise, but he probably believes he could be the difference maker. He could come in and and turn things around and help cement this new culture, whatever it may be, with the Houston Texans. All right, let's take a break. As we get these new quarterbacks in new cities, it would be helpful to have OTAs to get them ready. There's been plenty of talk about whether or not OTAs should even happen after 2020 when there were none. Bruce Arians, the Buccaneers coach, and the Super Bowl winner had some thoughts on that. We'll tell you what he had to say and react when PFT Live continues right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But just want to ask you what your reasonable expectations are for what kind of work you'll have with the team uh, in April, in May, with OTAs, with mini camps, that kind of thing. You know, it, it's it's always voluntary. So I mean, for us, we've lost the development of two years of players, and now we'll be drafting some guys that didn't play last year. Three years of young player development. That if we lose spring, they're not getting developed. Now, yeah, the veterans love that because they may not get to take their jobs. So when you got the veterans voting on the rules, um, same thing that happened the last time in the CBA when Jeff Saturday and Kevin Wyatt, you know, got all the work rules put into place. So uh, these guys, these young kids need practice. Now, if the vets don't want to come, they don't have to come. You know, it's still voluntary. So, but we, we need we need the preseason. We definitely need some preseason games. I love the candor of Bruce Arians. He hit the nail right on the head because there has been a push led by J.C. Treader, the NFLPA president, 
two, based upon the fact that there were no OTAs, no offseason program last year, let's make that permanent. We don't need to have that. Well, 95% of the offseason program is completely and totally voluntary. Yes, some guys have roster bonuses or workout bonuses tied to it. Some guys actually have salary de-escalators that if they don't participate, their salary drops. But if you don't have that as part of your contract, you don't have to be there. But if you don't show up, Miles, then the young guy gets to be there and will be there every day, proving himself every day. And as they approach Labor Day weekend, when it's time to make the roster cuts from 99 to 53, we've got starting left tackle who makes $8 million a year, $10 million a year, $12 million a year. And he hasn't been here except for the mandatory minicamp. And then we've got the young guy who was here grinding every day, working every day, trying every day, developing every day. Uh, we, we feel better saving eight, nine, ten million in cap space. That's why the veterans show up, and that's why the push is to just get rid of it. Because even though it's voluntary, there's so many guys who will volunteer to be there, it puts pressure on the veterans to show. And Coach Arians is absolutely right. If you do away with it year after year after year, you're losing these valuable developmental reps for the players and allows the veterans to hang on longer and longer. Yeah, and I think from that perspective, sure, the veterans should ex want exactly this. But I think especially in this particular year where you're going to have a depressed salary cap, this is going to be very important for as many college players as possible, and rookies, I guess I really should say, to come in and get some reps so that they can prove themselves. And the interesting thing to me is going to be how many undrafted guys are going to be able to stick on these teams because of this. And you also don't have the normal scouting process that you are used to having because of everything that's happened with COVID. You're not going to be able to see all these guys at the combine. You're going to have fewer and fewer people at pro days. Heck, you don't even have the same amount of college film that you usually would, unless you're talking about guys, I guess, from the ACC or the SEC that played most of their regular schedule. So this is going to be a really wonky off season and into training camp and then into week one, because I just think there are so many unknowns. And then you combine that with the fact that the salary cap is going down. You really are going to have to figure out who is going to be the best 53 for you, not just on the field, but also in terms of what their salaries are going to be. And that could have a lot of different ramifications. Yeah. That's the downside to this this chaos that is coming for free agency where veterans will be cut and free agents who hit the market aren't going to get the money they want. They're going to go here. They're going to go there. You're going to have so much turnover potentially. And then you don't have the opportunity to get ready for the season. And then you're really just taking a chance. You're blindfolding yourself and throwing a dart on some of these draft picks and, and you have to try to develop these guys and where are the reps going to be to develop them. And uh, it, 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 it creates the possibility for, you know, some bad football in September. But what happened last year? The football was not noticeably bad. See, as long as it looks to the average fan on TV the same as it always does, and it, it just looks so great as, as, as a televised sport. It's one of the reasons it became the dominant sport in the country. It looks great on TV. As long as there isn't some noticeably horrible level of play, these are things that can be embraced and these are things that can spread and continue and uh, it creates a lot of pressure on teams to get their teams together. You mentioned the combine. Bruce Arians had some thoughts on the reality that there will be no combine. Here's what he had to say. For me, it's always been what's on tape. Now let's do the background on the person, you know. Uh, when you go to the combine, you fall in love with those guys in shorts. They run four three. Then you look at the film, though, they don't run four three. You know, when he's playing, and that guy that ran four six, he's the fastest guy on the field. So the tape don't lie. Yeah. And, and you can fall in love and get your heart broken at the combine. I'm sure there are plenty of coaches and scouts who will miss going to Indianapolis simply because of the broader experience and the late nights and all the drinking that we know goes on with the coaches and the scouts when they aren't at the uh, Lucas Oil Stadium watching the workouts. But, you know, I guess Aaron just said, I don't need I don't need an excuse to go somewhere and drink. I'm just going to drink wherever I am. So for him, it's no different. 
not going to the combine. So what? Fill my glass. I don't care. Wherever I am, it's the combine. But, uh, you know, he, he makes another good point. The film is what matters. And we get so caught up in all this other information. I feel like the pre-draft workup is so much more about CYA than it is about finding some player that we're really not thinking about. It's like, let's come up with all the reasons not to draft a guy. And uh, and then we won't draft a guy because we have all the reasons not to draft a guy. It, it, it's, it's overkill. So I think the NFL will be fine without it. I won't personally miss going after going every year since 2012 or 2013. I won't miss it for a year. Maybe next year I will, and I'll be ready to go back. But uh, I, I, it'll be an interesting case study in how much of all this other stuff that has grown up around the NFL is really critical to the success of the league, Miles. Well, I, I would say that I've seen people fall in love and get their heart broken at the combine, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the players working out. So that's part of everything I think that goes on. But I, I would also say that I, I think when you can have all of the teams in one place, that's when a lot of deals start getting done. And it comes with agents as well. I mean, we have the legal tampering period that starts right before free agency, but then there's also the illegal tampering that happens at the combine because everybody is together. And so, I mean, there are deals that get made at St. Elmo's probably, you know, or what is it? Uh, I don't know, a Hyde Park or whatever the heck that steakhouse is that everybody then goes to later on at night. So prime, yeah, prime, whatever it is, uh, prime 47, I think. So it's just, there's a lot lot of different reasons why people like going to the combine i do like going to the combine it's nice to see a bunch of friends that you have from around the league but at the same time i think you're right it's probably not as necessary as we make it out to be but it's still one of those events that just is on the nfl calendar and you know it just it makes sense that at the end of february everybody just descends on indianapolis and, and the tampering isn't nearly as random or coincidental as I bumped into someone at insert name of Steakhouse. What happens is the, the, the agents have, they have an itinerary. They've got a schedule. To, I, I'm going to see the, the, the Colts in their hotel suite where they otherwise question and interrogate the incoming rookies. And then I'm going to go see the Cowboys. And then I'm going to go see the Buccaneers. And, you know, and, and it's, it's all out in the open. I, I, it's a given. I've got seven free agents that I represent and I'm going to talk to 25 of the teams about my seven free agents. No one makes any bones about it. It's all untraceable because it all happens face to face and everyone does it. I, I had a team president tell me years ago that his team was the last team that was not tampering pre-free agency and finally realized we're the only ones who aren't doing it. We're at a disadvantage. We have to start doing it because 31 other teams are. So they'll still find a way to do it. They'll find a way to do it. Maybe they're going to need some burner phones that, like in uh, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, they'll rip in half and throw in a garbage can. But they're going to need a way to do it. They'll find a way to do it, and it will happen. It just won't happen as organically and naturally as it does in Indianapolis, something that is not happening organically or naturally at all. Movement of Deshaun Watson away from the Texans roster. His personal quarterbacks coach had an observation yesterday, or accurately a question after Carson Wentz was traded. We'll show you what the question was, and we'll talk some more about what it's going to take for Deshaun Watson to join the list that now includes Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, and Carson Wentz, quarterbacks who have been traded for PFT Live right after this. So yesterday after the news broke that Carson Wentz got what he wanted, a trade out of Philadelphia, Quincy Avery, the personal quarterback's coach of Deshaun Watson, the starting quarterback of the Texans, if you haven't heard, asked this on Twitter. What's the criteria for a quarterback asking to get traded than actually getting traded? Asking for a friend. I think that's the first time that the phrase asking for a friend when used on Twitter actually was asking for a friend, Miles. Yeah, he wasn't actually just asking for himself. He wanted to know for his friend Deshaun Watson. The first thing I thought when I saw that was, man, how does Deshaun Watson feel about this now being public? I mean, because even, you know, we all know, I think, what's been reported and what's going on there. And the relationship is clearly fractured between uh, Watson and the Texans. But that's it's it's not usually that direct, you know, where it's asking for a friend and you know that who the friend actually is. Yeah, and look, 
I don't know where any of this is going to go because I can't predict how the Texans will handle their business. I think their best play would be to go to Deshaun Watson and say, we know you have a no trade clause, give us a list of teams you'd play for, and then start now getting teams to the table. Let's get your best offers on the table and keep letting them work against each other and bid their way to something that would be a great return for Deshaun Watson. If they, if they are going to, as it appears, dig in their heels and say, we're not trading him, we're not trading him, and he's going to hold out and stay away, and they do like they did with Dwayne Brown in 2017 where – you know, they trade him right before the trade. Who you, what are you going to get? What kind of value are you going to get when there's no one left? Now, who knows? Maybe Deshaun Watson is so good that a team will upend its plans midseason if it has to, to get Deshaun Watson. But this is not the way to get the absolute best and complete trade package for Deshaun Watson. And I think, Miles, at some point, Deshaun Watson, and, and I, I credit him for being discreet and quiet and not taking this public. I think at some point he has to. I think they're forcing him to sit down for an interview, do something where he's got to say in his own voice, and, and he's got to explain why this just isn't working anymore and he wants to move on. I think he very much would like to avoid having to do that. It may be that at some point he has to do it in order to get the message out and in order to get the Texans to realize there is a downside to dragging their feet on this, that he is going to take it public, that he is going to take the fight to them, and maybe he's in the process now of just giving them every chance to do it the right way before he takes it into a public forum. Well, I think that, first of all, for the Texans, there's no better time to trade him than right now. I don't think his Deshaun Watson's value is ever going to be as high as it is right now. So if you're talking about maximizing what you can get out of this trade, Deshaun Watson could go for an unprecedented amount of first round picks, of draft picks, and you could add in some other players as well because you know he is a franchise quarterback who can play at an elite level. And those guys just don't ever come on the market, basically ever. So I think from that perspective, if you're going to do this, and if you know, if you're the Texans and you know that Deshaun Watson is disgruntled, he doesn't want to play for you anymore. He has made that very clear behind the scenes. There's only, I think, one good way of get going about this. And the way that most benefits the Texans is to, is to trade him right now when his value is at its highest. Especially because as time passes, teams will be making their arrangements already off the board. The Rams and the Lions and the Eagles and the Colts. Although the Eagles could still be in play. I don't think that they will make a move for Deshaun Watson. But the Colts aren't going to and the Rams aren't going to and the Lions aren't going to. And those are teams that potentially could have been in the mix if the Texans had been committed to this strategy of let's start the bidding. Let's get an auction going, and let's see where we go. Here's where we're going to go from here. Quick break. Back with more PFT Live right after this. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.